Communications Program, yeah. also uh, Division Chair. Yeah, that's new this year. Yeah, how's, how's that? <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's been it's been great to to see kind of the the personal growth of that, right? New responsibilities and things like that. But it's also been just a really uh, fun challenge to take on. So. Yeah, that's one way of saying it. Uh, <laughs> Try to be know. collegial. Well, I know. Uh, no, it's a great group, and, and you've added that to a number of other responsibilities, yeah. one of which is your broadcasting. Yeah. And yeah. you bring to us uh, regular broadcasts of the uh, our women's team. Right. We're doing quite well this year. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was a passion of mine. That was, uh, that was the dream, right, to go into sports broadcasting, to be the next voice on the radio of, of sports. And Shared by... Many. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very competitive field. Right. I thought I was, you know, the best, but, uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't at that point, right, in their career? Yeah. Well, you have a great voice. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I, uh, I created it myself. <laughs> uh, so, um, but no, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I had the ability of doing that during college, and, and I loved it. Uh, I got to travel with some of the sports team as an undergrad student, and, you know, I always gloat. I got to go to the Bahamas with our oh, men's wow. basketball team while I was in school. And then the next week, we got to turn around and go up to Michigan during winter. Mm. So you take the good and the bad for right, the yeah. sports. Um, but uh, no, so, you know, I've, I've been here now for about four or five years. And uh, in working with Derek Hancock, our general manager at the radio station, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was um, allow opportunities for students that are interested in sports and athletics, some, some opportunities to be on the air, whether that's through sports and news updates in the morning you know, play-by-play and color commentary. And so, um, you know, we really started talking about doing something like that um, in 2019, 2020. We all know what happened, right, with COVID. And that really just sort of shut that down, uh, put a limit even on professional athletes, you know, professional sports. Um, It was kind of interesting to see that um, they weren't even traveling to away games in, in professional athletics. Uh, they would set up the TV monitor and do a live simulcast, you know, in, in their in their homes, which yeah. is just kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as we've kind of emerged on the back end of COVID, uh, looking at opportunities, uh, you know, athletic wise here at the Wesleyan campus, uh, what sports are getting you know, already have that coverage, but what sports might, might we consider doing? And you know, women's basketball was right up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're continuously performing well uh, as as a team and is no different and so um, you know in, in our conversations with Derek and myself uh, just some of the experience that I had previously and, and then working with an alumni Mike Sprague uh, being able to come in and, and do uh, some play-by-play for us uh, we've we sort of launched this and hoping to grow with it uh, into other sports but then also those opportunities for students what, what other sports do you have in mind? Uh, so we're looking at uh, baseball as an option um, and then football as well um, so mm-hmm. You know, right now we're doing just home women's games um, and then looking at the potential of, you know, what would it cost to travel? What would it cost to, uh, you know, there are certain schools that are close in our conference. You know, you got Trevecca that's in Nashville. That's just a couple of hours. Uh, but then you've also got the schools that are, you know, way in Ohio. Where What's the setup for a traveling broadcast? Yeah, so it, it could work a couple different ways. I mean, you could travel with the team. Um, you know, if, if you have that relationship with the coaches and, and the teammates, I mean, equipment wise. Uh, yeah, you so you would need, um, you know, you would need the headset, and, and uh, there's a little console box that you plug in your your microphones and, and headset mm-hmm. into. Uh, but it's pretty easy, um, you know. With today's technology, it's kind of wild. We, um, 
We have a Bluetooth capability with our cell phones. And so you need a cell phone connection connects to the Bluetooth console audio box yeah. and you're ready to go. So what would you do in lieu of um, advertisements? Because I think that probably gives the broadcasters a nice break yeah. in between innings. and Right, absolutely. So, um, you know, public service announcements. Yeah, we, we create, you know, spots ourselves. So we have underwriters okay. on our station that, that promote what we do for the radio okay. station. But then we also have opportunities to promote our school as well yeah. and our athletic clubs and different organizations on campus. And so that gives us a nice break there as well. I think baseball is interesting. I don't know if, you know, soccer could be done. I've heard, yeah. I've heard you know, um, uh, radio broadcasts of golf, yeah. um, which is interesting. It is. And I feel like you lose a little bit. but um, Yeah, baseball is my thing. I mean, that, that's yeah. what I love. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and, and but so, there's different ways of calling baseball. There games. is, absolutely. You know, it's a conversation. You yeah. know, you, you typically think baseball is boring, right? But it's just more downtime strategy right. that happens between the pitcher catcher and the placement of the players on the field uh, but it's more of, of describing what's happening you know with football there's downtime but then there's quick action you yeah. know after the, the huddle and the snap there's there's movement there's right. constant movement right. with basketball and especially at, at the pace that our women play is very quick you yeah. know I mean they're 10 minute quarters yeah. and in an hour and a half we're done mm-hmm. you know with the four quarters mm-hmm. And then you sort of take a breath after that. But uh, each sport's kind of unique in its own in its own way. But there is the strategy and, and kind of that method that goes behind what the players are thinking, what the coaches are thinking, and, and stuff. Well, you know, and you, I mean, there's some gifted broadcasters sure. who can really sort of transcend the sports. Yeah. But it does take a certain sort of personality. Yeah, you know, it takes love of the game, right? I mean, you you grow up maybe playing that sport or watching it as, as a kid. Um, and then you just start consuming that. And I think, you know, uh, people today, they're into fantasy sports, so that gives a different angle. You know, I mean, what would this player do, you know, and, and as, as a fantasy team? You know, maybe he's on my rival team, you know, right. as a Cardinals fan. Maybe he plays for the Cubs, but I want him to play well, right, yeah. because I've got him on my team. You yeah, know? I, admittedly, in, in grad school, I tried fantasy <laughs> baseball. It was a big mistake. Baseball's hard. I think well, it's just, well, fantasy, the trades right? and trying There's to keep track of who's moving where yeah. and when and how. I think and football, and, I'm, and I've never played fantasy football, but I, that's probably a, a better because yeah. you got one one week, right? right. I mean, it's just right, right, one right. day a week, yeah. and you can maneuver players around mm-hmm. all week long and stuff like that. But there's still strategy, right? you got your defense and your offense and who you're going to play quarterback that day and different things like that. So um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Are there an equal amount of uh, you know, folks who are just interested in sort of radio as opposed to kind of broadcast television? Tele, tele, television? Yeah, you know, and, and, and one of the things that I tell my students is that with, with the way that technology has grown, I feel like there's more outlets and more opportunities, mm-hmm. even from whenever I was a student. You know, I mean, you look at – our, our program, you know, Kentucky Wesleyan, we're part of Division Two sports, but we're part of a, a larger conference in the GMAC. They stream all of their sports. And this is Division Two, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I get the GMAC is a, is a well-elevated, well-represented conference in, in Division Two, But, you know, I mean, there's all these sports that have the opportunity to stream, and whether it's video or audio. Um, and then, you know, you look at, you know, things like the Big Ten Network, SEC. I mean, these are B1 conferences that have their own broadcast networks. And then you talk about the big guys like ESPN, Fox Sports, and, and Bali Sports Network. And, and so there's just a lot of outlets for students to go in as professionals in the industry. 
Uh, but then we've got podcasts, which have just bloomed, right? I mean, we're doing our own podcast here where, you know, whether Quite successful, very successful worldwide, yeah. you know, uh, whether it's the opportunity to talk about sports or entertainment or education, yeah. whatever that is, um, you know, if you've got a microphone and a, and a, and a good, interesting topic, you know, the, the world is limitless, I think. Do you feel like there's more opportunities for students to engage in broadcasting and that uh, the process at the Division II level? Uh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and we've seen that here with our students. Uh, you know, our students work alongside our athletic office and have the opportunity of running camera or you know, getting on the headset and calling the games, yeah. working alongside professionals in the industry. Um, and if nothing else, it just gives them experience. Maybe they're not interested in doing that as a career, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it gives them a different skill set of teamwork, of, you know, seeing how a, a piece of work comes together, you know, a broadcast session comes together. Um, and so there's a lot of added benefits to those opportunities. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see sort of a, um, you know, a student broadcast of, Sporting events, some some more cameras on the field, yeah. and some sideline reporting. I think that'd be interesting. Absolutely, you know, um, talk to our financial guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, as as anything, right? This all costs money, but uh, it would be just a, a really cool, you know, opportunity to, you know, cameras on the floor, getting the shot of maybe the basketball player shooting the free throw having that sideline reporter at halftime that grabs the coach, you know, yeah. does a quick interview. Um, absolutely. That'd be, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, this staffing is obviously sure. an injury, but there's definitely student interest. There's definitely it. student interest. And, you know, I think when you've got a, a campus that promotes athletes, that promotes different programs, mm-hmm. um, students are looking for those avenues of where they, they can um, create content, about sports, you know, wh- whether it's podcast or whether it's attending games, calling games, whatever that is, if they're already in mind with athletics, mm-hmm. you know, they're already thinking that. And so just giving them opportunities to explore those careers, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's fun for them. But, you know, so you cover the women's basketball sure. team um, pretty extensively. Yeah. You're there for every game. Yeah. So you, you need a, a really in-depth knowledge of the team yeah, to do it adequately because it does move quickly it does and you have to know the opposing teams and you really need that you need a deep level of understanding <laughs> yeah. so you're not well 23 today is really <laughs> you know off for a game I yeah. mean, you really you need to know the names and yeah uh how how much research do you do i tell my students for every hour of a game that you call there should be about an hour of prep mm. so if you figure a two-hour basketball game you're doing at least two hour prep for that game um and, and you know when, when you start calling um, games for a specific team, so like the, the Wesleyan women's team, you get to know them pretty quickly, right? So your prep for that team is, is evolving over time, right? But the prep for who they're playing against changes you know, with each new game. Maybe sure. they play a different opponent. Maybe they play a, an opponent they played earlier in the year. Um, but it's still new information that you're getting. Are you, are you talking to coaches and players? And Absolutely. You know, and I have the benefit of having some players in class, so okay. so I can chat with them. You know, hey, that was a great game. You guys played well. Or, man, you looked off. You know, what was right. going on? You know, and, and there we form that relationship where now they're interacting with me on that level, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even, you know, as, as a broadcaster outside of school, you know, you attend practices when you can. You stop by the coach's office when you can. 
and you pick the brain, you know, you, you ask them questions about strategy, you ask them questions about, um, you know, hey, the, who, who's your opponent and, and what are they playing like? You know, one of the things I love about uh, especially coaches Neiman uh, here is they pull in uh, some of our soccer guys to run the opposing plays mm-hmm. in, in practice. And so, you know, we've got some of our students that will show up to the women's practice and will run plays as if they are the opposing team. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, that takes time to, yeah. to sit and watch film and to understand what that strategy is. But then it also is good for our women's team to understand this is what we're going to see in our next game. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot, and it's a lot to fill in a broadcast. Absolutely, I mean, you have to the the small talk. So, so do you do the color or the play by play? I like play by play, probably because it talks more. Oh. You know, <laughs> communication. Guy, yeah, so, right. um, but uh, you know, the the idea is with, with radio in particular, play by play calls the action as it unfolds. Right. So there's there's always something to talk about during during gameplay. Um, you know, after a basket has scored or after a run has, has made or after a, a touchdown was completed, whatever that is, is when the caller commentator can come on and describe how that play evolved over time. You know, was it a, a pass that, that in the paint that led to the layup or, you know, was it a formation on the field with an open guy that allowed the, the touchdown to happen, uh, whatever that was. Um, you need that kind of balance in radio. With TV, the audience sees the action, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's less talking in general that happens. Um, and, and I was I was really bad at this. I, I moved from radio to TV uh, right right at, you know, after college, and I talked way too much. Like I had the producer pull me into his office and be like, just shut up, huh. you know? Like, we don't need you to talk about what's going on. I can right. see it. And I'm like, okay, you know, feelings. right, exactly. So I was going to sulk in my office for a little bit, but... <laughs> Um, but but it's true, right? You know, and, and it's interesting because especially with TV, professional athletics, you look at who they've got in the booth. A lot of it's former players or coaches. And so they're describing what's happening on the field. You know, they've been there. They've played it. They know the call. They know what to expect. And so they're giving you some in-depth analysis while the play's unfolding, and that and that's different than radio. Yeah, well, and for sure, and for certain sports in particular, I think baseball is one of those Absolutely. that's kind of mysterious to, to a lot of people who didn't play yeah. play at high levels. Yeah. The understanding of the kind of eccentricities of the game, yeah. especially you know pitch counts and you know and the shifting players on yeah. the field and you know some of the nuances Absolutely. of it. Um, you know, I've heard bad baseball broadcasts where you know in there for a strike, right? right. Well. High inside was it? Yeah, what kind of pitch was it? I can imagine. I mean, if you're a real baseball aficionado, you're looking for the kind of placement of the ball, and you're kind of thinking along, and that's the a lot of the enjoyment. Baseball attracts a kind of a wide variety of folks and people that are really stat, you know, heavy and interested in statistics, and and people that played at higher levels and they're interested in that strategy and they and kind of predicting what's going to come next with it, and just you know, I, I think that's. I think that's interesting, and it's, it's it's something you recognize in, I think, good broadcasts. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with baseball for that reason. Yeah. It is so statistic-heavy. Yeah. I mean, we got numbers for everything. You know, like, I remember getting a stat pack before a broadcast, you know, literally that thick, and it's talking about this picture when it's 20 degrees outside, and it's cold, you know, yeah. the sun's at this latitude. 
But why do we need to know that information? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but but it, it paints that picture, right? And, and so we can describe what's happening. That's big. You know, whenever I did baseball, was getting to know players and and their their specialty. You know, so specifically pitchers. You know, you got a pitcher that throws a fastball, a curveball, and a changeup. That's their arsenal. You know, and so why would they choose the pitch that they choose? Mm-hmm. You know, and when do you kind of expect that to happen? You bring that into the broadcast, and that adds kind of that extra layer uh, to your audience. Yeah, thirty percent chance of striking out when the ball is low and away. Right, or, exactly. You know, up you and know, in. How this player's hitting on this count and all of that. Yeah, and, and more recently, basketball has adopted a lot of the same yeah. statistical sort of, you know, the, the vantage point. Right. And I think this is why you're seeing, you know, more three-pointers thrown yeah. up, especially in, in professional Absolutely. basketball. Um, because there's, you know, higher percentage chance that you'll win if you just you put the ball up mm-hmm. from outside. Now, you know. I mean, I, I think it's debatable what it does to the game. A lot sure. of people really don't like right. like to see that. that you know, yeah, I don't know the last time I saw an NBA score where at least one team wasn't in triple digits. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's not what I'm used to, yeah. you know, used to growing yeah. up. We're more kind of more of that strategy piece. Exactly. More sort of, you know, interesting plays and, yeah. you know. Posting down low, the short shorts, all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, they, the interesting, you know, that phenomenon about uh, – statistics in sports in general and you know is it helpful to the players or is it helpful to the audience right um does it really paint a more compelling picture either way i mean i you know i've never played sports at a high level right you know as a fan i you know it's numbers are hard i think to understand you know especially at that kind of level i mean i i get you know Runs, errors, hit, those those make sense, right? But whenever you start yeah, getting whip, into, right? you know. get into war, you get into all these, yeah. uh, you know, I think it can become cumbersome, to, especially the casual fan that maybe just wants to flip it on and watch, you know, a couple games here and there, you know. They're not interested in those deep statistics. Yeah, I mean, you've studied baseball for a while yeah, now. Yeah. So, you know, can you say anything about the, uh, say anything um, that could help uh, about the, sort of, you know, the evolution of how baseball is kind of, you know, the, the projection of, of baseball to the fan, yeah. right? How do you elicit that, that fan interest? Because I think in some, what baseball has to watch out for, again, speaking on the part of a fan, grew sure. up watching baseball yeah. and, you know, uh, playing some baseball, but it's just sort of, you know, outpacing fan interest. Yeah. And, um, you know, being too reliant on statistics, mm-hmm. I think, is you know one artifact of yeah. that, and too reliant on kind of insider knowledge, and you're just you're sort of distancing yourself. Um, the and then the opposite end is that you know the Savannah Bananas, <laughs> right? Yeah, and their hijinks, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I think that that's worked out. So that's that, I think that's the opposite. Yeah, and what what is your perspective on on uh, at least at least Major League Baseball and yeah. trying to, to keep fan interest? You know, the core fan base, right. which you can't, you know, can't ignore, but also trying to grow your fan. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so, you know, I think, one, there's the big business side of baseball, right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's an organization that's going to make money. That's what they're there for. And so they're, they're looking for ways to bring in attendance numbers, ways to uh, get TV rights, whatever that is, so that they're, they're making the, the dollars. 
Um, you know, they've introduced some new changes and some new changes this year that's getting ready to start bigger bases. Mm. The pitch clock, you know, uh, to speed up the pace of the game. But haven't they tried the pitch clock before? Uh, in minor leagues, they've tried. Okay. It. They've okay. introduced, like, uh, some form of, like, 30 seconds in between pitches or something like that. Okay. But now it's affecting even batters. What's the penalty if you go over that 30 yeah, I don't really know. I've not really studied it that, right. that much. But they eliminated the shift, too. They eliminated the shift this year, which I, I'm excited about. Um, you know, I, I think there is some good strategy with the shift, but whenever you've got like half the infield on one side, yeah, you know, to me, I, I was always, you know, dumbfounded at why more players weren't bunting down the third baseline when the shift happened. You know, like what happened to the play of small ball? Like, right. why aren't we teaching fundamental basics? Not that I can bunt a ninety-five mile hour fastball or anything, you know, but <laughs> it's easy to coach from the couch, you know. <laughs> Um, but it's the idea of, you know, we're, we're now in, in a time where it's, oh, i got to get that extra base hit. No, it's a small ball. You know, let's, yeah. let's play some small ball. Uh, but, you know, I, I love the Savannah Bananas. I think their energy and their excitement is, is different. It's definitely, um, I, I would call it a fad. You know, I don't know if they're going to be around in the same energy level that they are in 10 years. You know, but but it, it brought a spark and an interest to baseball and it's kind of purity of baseball. Let's just have fun. You know, let's let's, let's just get out there and enjoy some time. Well, one play. of the things that, you know, baseball struggled with forever has been, you know, what do you, you know, this kind of back and forth, the tit for tat, yeah. you know, someone's hit with a pitch. Um, and, and people like to see emotions sure. in sports, yeah. right? I mean, regardless of what you're doing. And so, you know, a player's inability to show emotion yeah. because they they're going to get plunked or whatever on right. the next at bat. I mean, has always, I think, I think major league baseball has seen this as a problem. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then, so trying to really tamp down on that. So if somebody flips a bat, you know, don't, you know, throw yeah. a heater in their chest. Yeah, there, there's the unwritten rules, like in all sports, you know, in baseball, if you jack a home run, don't stand at the plate and watch it. Right. You know, it's going to show up the pitcher. You know, you're going to get beamed on the next next time you're up. Right. So the purpose thing, is not you know? to beam them, but right. to like, okay, well, maybe throw a better pitch. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm a fan of the high and tight. You know, yeah. if somebody's guarding the plate as a batter, mm -hmm. shake them off a little bit. You know, uh, some players will, I mean, literally stand on top of the plate. So you want that strike zone, right, as, as a pitcher. And so if you scrape their jersey, well, that's on them for hovering over the plate. Mm -hmm. You know, brush them off a little bit. Um, I think MLB at times has gotten a little um, maybe too safe, you know, like, okay, now we got to warn the benches. Well, now you can't throw that pitch inside, you know, right. because if, if you do and you hit the guy, right, right, right. the pitcher's ejected, the coach is ejected, and, and we got to rethink things, you know. So, uh, but, but, you know, as with any sport, you want to protect the players. You want to protect, you know, the, the pace of the game and all that. So I get it. Well, and, and uh, you know, I think the talk for a while in Owensboro was to bring a minor league team here. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with those conversations? I, I am. So this was, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Okay. There was some discussion with some some of the downtown revitalization, mm -hmm. ballpark downtown. Um, you know, Bowling Green has a single-A affiliate team, the Hot Rods. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a single-A of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised we don't see more of that. I think Evansville would be a great location for a minor league baseball team. Mm -hmm. They've got the Frontier League Otters, uh, but, you know, nothing of the single, double, triple-A team. Um, but, you know, you look at Midwest as kind of Americana, right? Yeah. And, and we're right in, in the middle of, of baseball territory. you got 
Cubs and base in, in St. Louis and the White Sox and the Reds and then even the Braves just south of us, you know. So there's definitely a market, I think, for it. Um, it would be interesting to see, you know, if something like that. It's a, it's a, it's a fun activity yeah. you know, for people that aren't interested because of how I think uh, stadiums have evolved Absolutely. a little bit and they're a little bit more kid friendly now yeah. and uh, really built sometimes with the intention of bringing out, you know, your, you know, your, your preteens or yeah. you know, and uh, significant other and just kind of enjoying a night outside. Absolutely, you get some beautiful summer evenings out here. So yeah, and, and I think one of the things that, that maybe hinders, especially our area, from doing more of that is it's it's definitely a summer related event. So what does that ballpark do during the winter months? Yeah, you know, right. kind of does it sit dormant? You know, so yeah. uh, you know, looking at it from a government perspective, mm-hmm. would we do better to have something that's more economical to use 12 months out of the year as opposed to just six to eight months. Yeah. You Do know? you have a perspective on how sports impacts kind of downtown urban environments? I've read some research of it, and it's interesting to look at, especially professional leagues that use downtown for revitalization, the type of you know economics that, that it could bring, uh, but also you know the, the deals that happen with municipalities and city governments to, you know, tax breaks or whatever that is to build those stadiums. Uh, it was just, I saw a, an infographic just, just this week that looked at uh, Major League Baseball and, and their location of stadiums to their downtown core. You know, about um, half of the stadiums are within five miles of a downtown core. Then you got some stadiums that are, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles outside of a downtown core, yeah. you know kind of that urban sprawl that right. happened in the 80s. Right. Um, and, and there's definitely kind of been a push for more economic viability in downtowns, yeah. entertainment venues, sports venues, whatever that is. Um, but again, you know, the idea is can that sustain itself when that team's not playing? What are there? And that's where we get, like, the ballpark villages created, you know, where there's hotels, dining, mm. uh, entertainment districts, being built around these downtown stadiums. Do you have an example of one of these? Uh, so St. Louis, okay. you know, has, has a ballpark village. It kind of started, you know, you, you could really say some of the first were like Wrigleyville in Chicago and, and around Fenway, some of the older ballparks that have established these neighborhoods, mm-hmm. these rooftop decks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've sort of emerged into big multi-billion dollar infrastructures that have been built uh, for entertainment purposes, right? And so these are districts that then great tax incentives and dollars for the city municipalities and things like that. And a lot of stadiums, especially baseball, is looking at that because you provide opportunities for fans to enjoy the game. But then, you know, maybe they're just walking outside of the stadium. They can look in the outfield and catch some of the action, but they can also go to the bar across the street or maybe they're catching a movie or whatever it is. Yeah, but again, I mean, it's it's during the season and it's during games right. that you're seeing yeah. that kind of increase. Absolutely. And it's hard to justify that year-round. Yeah. And, but I, I do, you know, the push and pull of suburbs versus the urban areas yeah. and getting traffic back in, you know, it's been a challenge and it's it's everything from, you know, so if you've ever been to a Detroit Tigers game, yeah. you know, really accessible on, you know, highway. Right. And then, you know, and then you get right back out. <laughs> That's Absolutely. the idea. You yeah. get in, you know, you can park mm-hmm. right off an exit into the parking garage. Yep. It really incentivizes you to kind of spend your time and your money right there. in the stadium mm-hmm. and then, you know, peel out and yep. head, head west or, or wherever. Um, but so much of, you know, urban revitalization yeah. is, is about trying to, you know, elicit interest in the downtown, get more mm-hmm. foot traffic. And 
the you know the end of one way streets right. that are really designed so you just just get right out. We just see that here in Owensboro, right? Yeah. I mean, with the push for downtown development and the park and the riverfront and all of that, and some of those talks of a downtown stadium and, and things like that, you know, I mean, uh, so it's not just large, you know, million dollars or million population cities. It's it's your you know Midwest towns, your small burbs. Is this too, a right? is this a modern issue of trying to make sense of uh, a ballpark year round? You know, I, I think so. You know, I, I think you know you you look at the historical. You know, the ballpark served as as a as a venue for sports and their mm-hmm. team, and then that was it. Yeah. Right. You know, now we we, we host concerts. Right. You know, ballparks can become. Yeah, there, there was the '80s. You know, cookie cutter stadiums that that house multiple sports. Yeah, multiple right. Purpose, yeah. But then it, it it sort of kept fans from being close to the action. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the big. You know, why we don't want to see the cookie cutter stadiums anymore um you know so we move out of that kind of multifaceted aspect but then we you know look at ways to integrate districts or whatever it is to bring people in your yeah it's it's i mean growing up in philadelphia so i was not around during connie mack which was a stadium right downtown and then the you know vet stadium which was the huge multi-purpose really pitched i think as a as way of so the eagles would play there and then and then during the you know Eagles game, you'd see you know second base, you'd see the outline <laughs> right, of the infield, you'd see the right? Field, yeah. Just paint over it, <laughs> and and no one liked to play there. No. It really wasn't you know, and it was set up. You have to sacrifice one for the other. You do right. And then so the move back, and I think maybe that was kicked off with um, in Baltimore. Yeah. With was it Oriole Park? Yards, Camp, Camp yeah, Camp beautiful ballpark. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which I've never been to, but is it single use? Yeah. Right. And then that sort of caught steam. Yeah, and it was a, the, the retro look, you know, kind yeah. of throwback to the 1920s and 30s style of, of Major League Baseball ballparks. And then we start seeing more of that, you know, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is probably my favorite stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, PNC Park is just gorgeous. It's, yeah. you know, you got the downtown look, the, the gold bridges in the outfield. I mean, it's just a beautiful setting, right? Uh, you don't get that with a cookie cutter. It's a big circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and with St. Louis, you also have to think about, you know, they had the, the football Cardinals in the 80s. They had the, the baseball Cardinals. And in summertime, that stadium would get hot. Yeah. You know, they had AstroTurf, you know, and it was like 120 degrees on the field. You know, now with an open-air stadium, yeah. it, air circulates, and it's just, you know, it's better to, to see the game yeah it's interesting to you know the roi on an yeah. investment because you know a lot of and this is pretty common the, you know an owner of a franchise will threaten to leave unless right. the city don't we're seeing that in chicago with the bears mm-hmm. you know they're talking about moving out of downtown and into uh, the burbs which is i mean a coliseum right i mean this yeah. is this is the bears home right. for decades right. and if they don't get that billion dollar innovation they're going to move. Yeah, I feel it's like the White Sox have threatened that. Yeah. Same and similar. And, a lot of teams have. Right. <laughs> and then, you, you know, like Oakland A's, they're, they're looking to move to Las Vegas, you know. Yeah. And, and, uh, and what's interesting, too, is uh, Nashville, surprisingly, is, is trying to get a major league team in, oh. into Nashville. Okay. Um, and so uh, I've been watching that a little bit because uh, I'm curious, you know, what, what, what happened to that. Yeah. It's easier to make more sense of you've been to Nashville and you see where yeah. the Predators play. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's easy to, to make more sense of a state. I mean, that's, you could, you know, host concerts right. or, you know, conventions, yeah. any number of, of things in a really highly sort of population dense area yeah. that attracts people for other reasons. And, and that, you know, Nashville's done really well. I remember the days of Opryland, you know, they had the big theme park there by the big hotel. 
And when it shut down in the 90s, uh, they, they were lost, you know, ec- economically for tourism. And they started to spend some money and, and invest in their Broadway downtown area. Mm-hmm. And that thing has just exploded in the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and you got Bridgestone down there, which is where the Predators play in their arena. Um, and so it, it really has become kind of this hub of entertainment uh, year yeah, round. Yeah, Columbus is the same. I mean, they're yeah. arena district. Yeah. I mean, to your earlier point, just trying to invest money in a in an area that brings family and, and dollars down yeah. there. But it's um, you know, it's a difficult thing to manage as a taxpayer. Absolutely. You know, you really. What, you know, how's this? <laughs> what benefit do you get? Yeah, out outside right? of the yeah. you know the now the influx of new traffic exactly to your area. Yeah. Are you gonna really, really gonna do anything to the roads, public yeah. transportation? Are you gonna, schools or well you know I'd, I'd be curious to know and I'm sure there's been studies you know what how many number of residents have say like in Nashville actually go down to Broadway mm-hmm. or is it more out-of-town people that's spending those monies down there so are, you know are the residents benefiting from yeah. that type of influx you know or, well this was a huge debate in Indianapolis yeah I think was felt a lot of the, the citizens felt like they were sold a false bill of goods mm-hmm. um, with uh, you know where the Pacers play right. and, you know multi-billion dollars and and uh, restaurants around yeah. the area you know claimed to have had very little kind of you know, trickle down effect um, you know mostly because I think they want to see they want to keep the, the kind of revenues in, yeah. in house yeah. and so for every patron that leaves and um, you know uh, goes to a restaurant or a bar or right. you know some other event outside that's you know a dollar exactly lost, so. yeah. yeah well it's a you know, it is interesting. Urban revitalization is something I'm, you know, kind of interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think Owensboro's done a really good job um, with the downtown yeah. here. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, they've really benefited from beautiful natural scenery. Absolutely. That's hard to duplicate a, a riverfront, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but the, the park's exceptional. Yeah. The, you know, um, the, the, is it Smothers Park? Smothers, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a fan of the baseball stadium to me. kind of makes a lot of sense. You know, spending so much time in Lexington, yeah. the benefits of a minor league, you know, and that was a little ways, it's a little ways down Broad Street, right, away right. from the, the downtown. But, you know, it's it's just another interesting thing, family-oriented right. event, and it's not year-round, but, you know, it does, it attracts a crowd. Yeah. And, you know, it's really incumbent on the, the owners, yeah. the franchise owners, to kind of make sense of the space and bring in fans. Yeah, and I think, you know, cities have to decide on, if you create that downtown environment, you know what's our focal point going to be? You know, is it a is it a stadium? Is it a, is it an entertainment district? I mean, we got you know Friday after five over the summer and yeah. bringing in the concerts. Yeah, you know, and food that, and trucks. That's huge, and, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, um, but I, I also feel as far as Owensboro goes, there's a lot of interest in um, conventions. Mm-hmm. You know, with the new convention center sure. and becoming a hub of like regional sports. You know, so yeah. softball tournaments. They're looking at building a new downtown indoor sports facility real close to walking distance of all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so that's that's going to be the focus, right? That's going to be your driver, and then hopefully your restaurants and your shops sort of benefit from this. Um, you know, I, I really feel COVID kind of put a pause on some of the economic growth Owensboro was experiencing right before, you know, there was a big push. Downtown hotels were, were popping up right. in, in town, and then all of a sudden... COVID happens in conventions pool. Right? Yeah. People stop meeting, people stop going out. And, and so there was, you know, I think we're kind of emerging out of that, but the landscape's changed now. Mm-hmm. You know, conventions aren't necessarily happening the same way that they were. Mm-hmm. You know, there's online conventions, there's uh, 
hybrid conventions. And so maybe you were banking on 500 hotel rooms mm-hmm. for a convention prior to 2019. Mm-hmm. Maybe then now it's 300. Right. You know, so what, what does that look like moving forward and thinking about infrastructure for these types of cities that rely on these types of... Well, homes? and, uh, you know, also, you know, the use of commercial space in general. Absolutely. You know, people working remotely yeah. from home, don't want to make the, the trip in. It was interesting. On a recent trip to Louisville, um, I visited a, a business out there, and, and how many of the employees were from, you know, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, yeah. or drove in from Lexington, right. or from, you know, a distant suburb. And they, they'll come in for just, you know, meetings, yeah. but pretty infrequently. Uh, most of their work is done kind of remotely. And what that does to kind of an urban right. landscape, too. And, and the businesses that are there to, you know, thrive. And you're Eric Adams in New York, mm. you know, really begging, you know, <laughs> folks to come back yeah. into work to exactly. support the small and Absolutely. local businesses yeah. that, that, you know, were built and rely on that. They're paying rents yeah. and maintenance to, you know, to really need a need that isn't there anymore. Exactly. It's, yeah. uh, it's difficult. And I think the advantage that Owensboro has is that it's been at a scale where it's been sort of relatively immune to these mm-hmm. gigantic economic, yeah. you know, back and forths. Um, and so, you know, when COVID came, you know, there was, it was at a low, lower sure. ebb, but, you know, uh, a lot of the businesses were you know, able to you know, remain solvent yeah. you know, during that. And, and I, again, I, I think there is to your, to your point um you know that building activity you know next to the convention center the bluegrass museum um the river park uh you know there's a lot of great room to grow absolutely a lot of great room to grow on this campus too and we are you know we were uh, formerly known as you know we were at one point in the you know the distant suburbs but we're (laughs) pretty much in the heart of it now yeah yeah Yeah. And uh, I know we have buses that go back and forth to, you know, the, the, the downtown area. Right. So, you know, students can experience yeah. more of that. And, and that's really important where I was formerly at, at Western Michigan. Okay. There was a, um, a trolley that back in you know, the 60s or 70s because yeah. Western Michigan was on a hill. And so they would run this trolley back and forth <laughs> to the downtown. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, but I, I do, I do like and appreciate Owensboro for its walkability, yep. for its, obviously, you know, it's a very safe, family-friendly environment. Um, I think we could benefit from, you know, I like the sports center. Sure. I think it's a yeah. great venue. And, uh, you know, my last trip there, I saw they, you know, they had Kiss in the seventies right. <laughs> and then Kiss is heyday. Right. I think yeah. it's just like yeah, 75. Yeah. So before my time, Yeah. but, um, you know, it was interesting and, uh, and it hosted, you know, it's a well-used Stadium, that's probably time to maybe think about a multi. Yeah, you know, it's been here for, you know, better of 60 years, yeah. you know, and, and it definitely has, has served well. Uh, the other aspect was the big executive inn that was downtown where mm-hmm. the Hampton Inn right. is at now. Yeah, heard about that. Um, and, and that was a big convention hall. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively newer to the Owensboro community, so I don't necessarily have ties to the Big E, but I mean, you ask somebody that's been here sure, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That held some memories, right? Well, and, and it's hard to let go. Yeah, and, and for things that I can't, you know, I don't think we really appreciate. So you know, our proximity to Nashville right. and St. Louis, yeah. right, and Louisville and other areas. Um, uh, so my understanding is, you know, big acts would come in or they just come up for the evening and right. play and then go back to, yeah. to Nashville, which makes a lot of sense. Um, do you see kind of need for more um, live music venues up here? Yeah, you know, I, I think we could... I think we could. We could benefit from, I think, just a, a genre of, of music. You know, not yeah. just focused on bluegrass, right. not just focused on even country, but just you know, a wide variety. 
Uh, but you're right. You know, I mean, you've got acts that will travel to Indy, St. Louis, Nashville, even Cincinnati, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. They'll pop in on a Thursday yeah. and they'll play, you know, and, and that's cool. But then, too, you know, there's been a shift, I think, culturally where we're more mobile than we were even in the 70s and 80s. Mm. Where, you know, a two-hour trip to Nashville yeah, is not, you're right. not out of the question. Yeah, yeah. You know, get a hotel room, let's spend the night. You know, and so from an economic standpoint, you're looking at how do we compete with people that leave to go to Nashville yeah, as point. opposed to, you know, staying, staying in town. Right, and the acts don't have to travel up with their right. equipment and, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a harder thing to manage yeah. for sure. But that does dovetail into a program that, that you're contemplating in, yeah. in, uh, in communications, which is... Um, Production. Correct. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're looking at ideas of how to further develop media production in the program, looking at technology growth. And, you know, we're kind of moving out of big studio spaces and into more uh, independent own type, yeah. uh, you know, I wouldn't say hobbyist, but, but the idea of, uh, you know, small business type, type productions. And so... You know, how do we benefit our students? What type of, of curriculum can we develop that utilizes new technologies and, you know, kind of similar setups that we have now in, in this space to help students kind of look at a potential growth in careers and whether it's media management or digital media marketing, you know, the use of, of, of uh, mobile media and those types of avenues. Right. Well, I'm excited for that. I mean, and uh, because there is, you know, however sort of um, however low the entry point, yeah, you know, there is there's there's methods, there's principles, um, there's a way to tell a story, right? And there, there's production value um, that that is difficult to kind of stumble into, yeah. right? The yeah. messaging is important, Absolutely. but how that message is conveyed and you know, the style and how you articulate that, I am encouraged. But you know, I, I grew up in an age where the you know, speaker wires and you'd unplug things and plug them yeah. back in, right? And there's apps for that. And the microphones are very high quality right. for a very yeah. you know, low cost. And it's just getting more and more affordable. Um, and for those same reasons, so I'm, I'm excited about that program. Um, I'm also excited about um, you know, our current graphic design program and plans that we have yeah. down down the road. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're looking at the idea of sort of taking some of our two larger programs in graphic design and communication arts mm -hmm. in, in the humanities division here at Kentucky Wesleyan and looking at uh, combining those into a graduate program. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of, um, you know, what can our students benefit from, uh, from continuing their education into a, another two years uh, and, and get a master's degree in what we're going to call graphic arts and communication marketing. Right. And, and I, I love that program. Yeah. I think, um, you know, because of the, just so you know the utility of it across different sort of market sectors right. or industries and i think anyone coming out with really any degree um, needs to be prepared to uh, not just have that kind of um, awareness of technology right. but be able to use technology to you know an active promotion of an idea or thought yeah. or you know a business um, some the the watchword now i think in um, in industry is entrepreneurship yeah. so even if you're you're working for you know a a, a for-profit or not-for-profit right. um, that you would have that you carry into that your uh, sense of kind of initiative and drive yeah. and thinking around and through things and I I appreciate that aspect of uh, we're calling it the Graco right. program yeah. here 
that it adds so many tools in someone's toolkit. Right. And it's really that kind of broad exposure. And that is at the very core of the liberal arts experience right. is that yeah. kind of engagement with different disciplinary ways of thinking. Yeah. And, you know, that, that awareness and familiarity and the, the ability to use, you know, design uh, techniques and principles, mm-hmm. um, and obviously software and coding and uh, the visual visual mediums. Right. Um, and there's a strong marketing aspect of this program that's kind of interwoven mm-hmm. throughout, and it's it's very entrepreneurial, really, it in is, its orientation. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, I think it's, a, you know, potentially a terrific complement, really, for any major. Right. Um, because I don't think there will be a, a situation where, you know, as, uh, you know, as someone entering a new career won't be asked, you know, hey, what's your insight or impact? You're going to be placed on sort of project teams. Exactly. Um, and you're going to be asked for different skills that you may or may not have acquired. And I think it gives our students a, a real competitive advantage yeah. in those spaces when they are able to, you know, you talk about website design, but you think about telling stories mm-hmm. through new media. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll have that advantage. Yeah. And uh, they'll be the, the kind of project design leaders. Yeah, you know, we, we talked kind of before... The start of the show, just you and I in conversation. Not a big fan of, of thinking of, of you know what students are when they're 13, 14, 15 years old, right? But there is a term digital natives, right? right. And these are students that are, are born into technology, that you know, basically they grew up with uh, the smart technology, they grew up with the internet, they grew up with social media. And so knowing not just how to use that technology, but how to benefit from it, right? So the graphic design aspect, creating those graphics, creating what good video and audio looks and sounds like, you know, what what an infographic is, creating that content becomes huge and important, especially whether you're working for yourself as an entrepreneur or nonprofit or whatever that is, right? And so that's what we hope students will get out of this program is more of that experience and knowledge of uh, not just, okay, here's the software, but the back-end analytics of it and understanding why we do certain things that we do. Right, yeah. It's, it's a different world. It and, is. and it's one thing to be a, a digital native right. and, a, and a consumer of technology, yeah, which right. I think we do exceptionally well <laughs> without any degrees or yeah, you know, tuition yeah. dollars. And it's quite another to be a producer of that. Absolutely. Someone who understands the landscape well enough to be able to work within it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's, um, it's why I think we're all so excited about Graco yeah. coming in. Well, uh, Dr. Bolin, um, really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. I yeah, think we've you. covered a lot of ground, <laughs> and I uh, appreciate you for it. We'll have you on again. Sounds great. At some point. But thanks. That's all for today. Thank you. Thank you.